Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flogger Presents, with your host, Andrew Wormsley. Welcome to the latest episode, everybody. Uh, we have my regular host that, that you've probably heard before with me today is Leighton. Right. Hello to everybody out there. Thanks for joining us again, Leighton. In, in Floggerland. <laughs> Don't yeah. have to put a trademark after that. <laughs> um, so today, um, as you're my resident film expert, we are discussing sort of an introduction to printing. Yay. Um, that Your is, favourite subject. It's one of my favourite. It was one of my favourite topics. Um, I think we'll go through a sort of basic... Uh, basic introduction to to printing of why you should why you want to print or why you should print and then some of the basics of uh, what you need what you need to do and uh, and sort of maybe one or two advanced topics if we if we've got enough time towards the end and your eyes haven't glazed over listening to a (laughs) podcast or your ears have not glazed over or yeah. insert, insert your own metaphor here. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this could be really useful for anyone who's even in the digital world that mm. they really ought to try this. I'll go with a friend like me and Leighton. You know, I'm going to open up my dark room to anyone who's interested. Come on over one night with me and just get involved. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's print, printing is one of those things that is very, very glossed over in this day and age. Uh, nobody really makes prints anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's that's true for digital as well. Um, we see images, we see images on the screen, we see a thousand and one of them just thrown up on on the internet and we look at them for probably less than a second and we never see them or think about them again. Um, This is where printing becomes important. It slows slows down uh, throwaway images. Images all of a sudden that are a physical thing are no longer throwaway items. They're no longer just perceived for milliseconds and then gone that's it a print is a physical representation of what actually happened it's there it's real it's it's a tangible uh, a tangible a tangible (laughs) item and the best thing about it is is you can put it up on the wall and you can enjoy it whether you have internet connection you don't have internet connection you've got natural light on it you've got electric light on it Obviously, you need light, but <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that you actually need. And suddenly, this intangible thing that's given how uh, fast digital things change this day and age, in five, six years, seven years, you might not even be able to view images from this time. Think floppy disks, CD-ROMs, you know, how many yeah. people have got something on a floppy disk how in this day and age are you actually going to view it yeah that's right yeah i mean either 
believe it or not, I'm looking at the moment at my bookshelf and I've got an entire install of Windows 95 on three and a half inch discs. Jesus. I've got, I don't even know why it's there because I've got nothing that I can put it in. I have not got <laughs> one device that I can read that media on. 21 discs or something like yeah, that. Well. Yeah, the entire thing is sat on my bookshelf. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just loath to throw it out, but. You know, that that is what you're looking at in this day and age is obsolescence. Whereas yeah. whereas a print don't they don't go obsolete. They're always, always viewable. Yeah, and I so, think we need to enforce that this isn't a just another retro thing that we're harping on about. No, this isn't retro at all. This is nothing ah. to do with this is here and now. Mm. I mean you can take digital images and make prints of them as well. Yeah. And they exactly the same will happen, but I will come to one point in a minute um, about that. So for, first and foremost, you've got this slow down physical item that you can look at. The second thing is prints are a fantastic way of checking your own work. When you make a print and you look at it as you are, you can see all the flaws in yeah. the print. Mostly the reason is, is when you look at a digital image, they're backlit. So the light from the monitor is obviously coming through some sort of, some, you know, so, some filtering bits going on there. So you can see, so you can see what's going on. And because it's backlit, it makes it feel incredibly dynamic. When you look at a print, prints are reflected light. So immediately the way that... The physics of the of the thing, or of the device, if you like, the paper, changes completely and changes the way that you perceive it. And it is a fantastic way of checking your own work. You you make prints, you will in, get much better as a photographer very quickly. I mean, like super quickly. That's quite freaky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, photography is not about the negative. The photography uh, is about the print at the end of it, the thing up on the wall. That is what you're aiming for. You know, yeah, it's, the, it's the end there. Yeah, and I think th this is the part where it's the same as, say, editing in Lightroom or, or Photoshop or whatever your preference is. That's the end product at that part. So yes. yeah. It's the same enjoyable process, but you get to touch stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I can quote... Ansel Adams on this, who was the master, <laughs> is the negative is the score, the print is the performance, and that's what you've got to remember. That's what people are looking at. Yeah. You can, you know, you can have some rather horrible negatives and get some great prints from them. Yeah. You know, it's your interpretation of what's going on is what you are going to present to the world. And yeah. the other thing is as well is um, another. Uh, photographer Don McCullen, who I mentioned before, the famous war photographer. Yeah, he's come out and said that the only photography you can trust is film and analog photography. Digital photography can be changed very easily. Anything you see on a digital image, you can't trust that that is what was there. Mm -hmm. With analog process and coming out with a fantastic black and white print you can completely trust what what you see is what was there with a few caveats on there but it's so difficult to change 
a, a an analog image with an analog process to do something, you know, to fool you. I mean, you can do like you know, double exposures and get ghosting effects and things like that. But I'm on about moving whole people, moving whole buildings. You know, you can't you can't necessarily do that. So, no, that is, you know, it's but you know we're skewing a little bit off topic there. But you know, the, the print is what you are providing to the world, and it's a physical thing in the world. You know, you can. Uh, you can give them to people. You can put them up on the wall, which is really where they all should be. You know, they should be on display for people to see and enjoy. That's the whole yeah. point of photography at the end of yeah. the day, not to create something that people see for 20 milliseconds and throw away. I mean, I'm talking photography as a fine art there. I mean, we all take pictures like with the iPhone as, <laughs> as a throwaway image that we're going to throw away. You know, so they still exist, but they're not what we're talking about when, when it's coming to printing. Printing is your work that matters. It's the stuff that you want to add to the world, add to the world's collective knowledge. You know, not obviously you don't want to add your, your mate being sick in a gutter to the world's collective knowledge. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, but whatever you consider that kind of work is obviously up to the up to the photographer on there. Um, yeah. Probably the last thing that I'm going to touch on in this sort of little bit of introduction waffle is uh, analog photography and doing these prints is proved to be archival. Your prints, if you deal with them properly, should last 100 years, 200 years. It's a proven technology because we've got prints that are that old. Hmm. You know, uh, inkjet prints are relatively new technology when it comes to that. You know, we don't know exactly how they're going to last because yeah. we, just, we just don't know because it hasn't been around that long. I mean, that's, a, you yeah, know, that's, that's a minor, that's a little minor thing. You know, I mean, even, you know, even silver prints need to be treated reasonably with respect. You know, yeah. if you sort of store one on the surface of the sun, it's going to fade. You know, <laughs> but, you know, it is an archival, it is a truly archival process. I mean, the prints that I produce, I would say at least will outlast me easily and quite possibly some of the younger listeners as well. You know, I'd be disappointed if my stuff isn't, isn't around in a century. You know, I'd be yeah. very disappointed with that, given, you know, some decent storage. Even the stuff up on the wall should last. I mean, when I give people or sell people a print, I always give them some instructions with it. Like, don't store it, you know, don't put it in direct sunlight. Yeah. You know, because if it hit direct sunlight hitting it all the time will fade anything out. So, you know, I mean, ultimately it's your print. It's up to you what you do, but you want to enjoy it for the, for the longest amount of time possible. Yeah, true. Yeah. So... That probably covers most of what I consider of why you should make a print, of why you should even begin this process, because this process becomes as obsessive as taking pictures. I mean, I, I can understand why some of the greats like uh, Cartier-Bresson never did his own prints. He actually got other people to do the prints. He told them what they wanted, but he just concentrated on the photography because you will get, you will get obsessed with it just producing that you know that that perfect that perfect interpretation of what you want 
Um, but I have to admit, me personally, I like to do my own photography and my own printing. It gives me a hundred percent control over my own uh, over my own process. Yeah. So, so I mean, moving on to what what do you actually need to make a print on there? I mean, first of all, you're going to need a dark room. I mean, basically, a dark room is what it is says on the tin. It, it's it's a room that really doesn't have any ambient white light in it. Because um, yeah. obviously photographic materials are, analog ones are sensitive to white light. Well, yeah. uh, I take that I take that back, actually, then. It, it's uh, not so much sensitive to white light. It's more sensitive to sort of um, yellow and magenta light. So, but obviously white light is made up of many colours. So... Yeah. So your room, this is, this is one of the great the fallacies. If you're making prints, you don't need a 100% light-sealed room. Paper is not very sensitive to light. And number two, remember Physics 101, light travels in straight lines. As long as there's nothing to reflect it or bounce it off anything, if there's a bit of light coming under the door, it doesn't matter. If you're worried about it, do print at night. But you generally, if there's a window in the room that you're in, block up the window with, you know, with a bin bag, you know, put a cloth over the, over the door, you'll be fine. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't panic about, I must have the world's most light tight room. Honestly, if you'd have seen what, what I've produced prints in with no problems at all. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Honestly, you don't need to be too over the top with it. If you're handling film in the dark room, yes, it's got to be like a, you know, it's got to be like a like a, a minus pocket at midnight because film is super super sensitive. But yeah, dark rooms, if there's a bit of a light coming in, it's fine. Obviously, you'll need a safe light, which is termed safe because you basically you can have it on and it won't mark any photographic paper that it's been exposed to. Generally, a red safe light is the is the classic one. In a pinch, I have used. Um, my phone basically giving out a red light on there. So I've set everything to red and put it out there. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. It was awkward, but it does work. One, one caveat at that is if you're going to use your phone for a red light, put it in flight safe mode. Somebody makes a call, you'll fog your paper. Ask me, ask me how I know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> on that one, you, you, can, you, you can use that. The um, I say, what what else are you going to need? Uh, you're going to need something called an enlarger. Now, an enlarger is basically like a reverse camera, or it's a, quite a lot like a slide projector. You put your negative into it, and it projects your image and makes it bigger, hence in term enlarger, onto basically onto the paper. So there's a lens in it for focusing. There's a place for a light in it. I mean, I'm just talking about the very general here. So there's yeah, a lens that allows you to focus the image basically onto a board at the bottom, which will have your paper. Yeah, I, I think... Down to set the size, and that's about it, really. That's everything that they do. There's... Yeah, I mean, it's a simple device, isn't it? I think the thing is, when you've never been in the film world... You don't even know what these things are. These exactly, terms are. 
exactly. It was hence why some some kind of you know basic basic terms. I mean, your camera takes an image from the world and projects it onto a film, and then larger takes your film Im- image and projects it back into the real world <laughs> at a slightly yeah. different at a slightly different size from there. It doesn't matter. The size of the negative doesn't matter or enlarges work exactly the same way. Then, obviously, you need some photographically sensitised paper for that. Um, there's several different brands of that but uh, and a couple of different types, but they're all generally the same if you're running um, silver gelatin process, which most people are. I mean, we're not going to go into, I think, alternative processes like platinum palladium and... You know, pure platinum process. There's lots of different ways of making an image, but silver gelatin is the easiest of these. Yeah. And then you're going to need um, exactly the same basic chemistry that you have for film. You're going to need a developer. You're going to need a stop bath, and you're going to need a fixer, which is the same as what you would run in a film. The differences are that. Paper developer is not the same as film developer. Um, the stopper and the fixer are exactly the same. Now, you can actually buy proper sized trays for um, putting, putting your chemistry in so your paper fits into it. Then you're going to need uh, three tongs so you can pick up the paper and move it between the baths. And then at the end of it, you're going to need some way of washing of washing the prints at the end because obviously they get chemistry in them and you need to wash it out to make sure it doesn't cause any problems later on in later on in the years or time for that. Yeah. So I'm can not, I just, yeah. if I just take you back to the uh, equipment for a second. Yeah. So we've said you need an enlarger. Yeah. I think some of the simple things, and I think this is common with a lot of you guys, is you forget how stupid some of us are. <laughs> so, well, when I went to set up the uh, dye room, it was like, well, I don't know what I need. So physically, I had no clue because I'd not talked to anyone about it, including mm. yourself, I think, at this stage. It was like, right, I need these trays. Can they be different colours? What size do they need to be? Yes. Do I? Do I need um, a beaker or a um, a jug or something, or do I need three of them? Do then um, I need something to stir them? Um, it's all these little things. So yes, yeah. If we go back to that a second, what have you got? So if you go first, and then I'll say what I've got. Right. Okay. Um, what in terms of? Exactly what I have in my my dark room. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I have a I have an enlarger. Yep. I mean, I have quite an advanced one. It will do. Um, it'll do up to six by seven size negatives. So it'll wow. do thirty-five millimeter up to six by sevens. Um, I then have also a timer so I can actually set how long the enlarger is on for. When you make a print, uh, prints are determined by uh, an exposure time. So uh, when you develop film, 
film is determined by the amount of time that you give film in a developer. Mm -hmm. With printing, you expose the paper for a certain length of time, then you develop it until it won't develop anymore. So the process works a little backwards compared to how film works. So you need some way of timing how long uh, the... Uh, the paper is exposed for. So say, say, for example, after much messing around, I know that I need to expose for, say, 20 seconds. I set my timer for 20 seconds. I press the button. It gives me 20 seconds of exposure. So the light's on for 20 seconds, uh, at which point then I take the piece of paper and I put it into the, into the developer bath. And then I, you know, I do it for... Uh, what what I do is when I put the paper in, the first time I put paper into the bath, I note for how long it takes for the initial image to start to form. Okay. So you'll see as it goes in and you start yeah. to agitate the bath, yeah. an image will start to form. That's right. At which point I note, it, I note it takes a certain number of seconds and then I give it a, a total development, I think, of about eight or nine times that amount of initial time. It ends up working out to being about one minute, 25 seconds. Right. At which point there should be no more change in the uh, development of the print. So when you put it in, you can see the image start to form. The, the blacks start to go from nothing to so... Because obviously when you pull out the piece of paper from the enlarger, the paper's blank. You can't see anything. Yep. Now, this is the other thing that people have never done it for the first time. It's not like using Lightroom where you can see what's going on. Everything yes, you yeah. see when you're working on the enlarger is blank. You don't see anything. It's only by going into the developer you can see what's actually happening. So if you expose for too long and you make the print too dark, you don't know this until you've actually got it into the developer. And then you only find out once you've gone through all the baths and turn the light on. Because one important <laughs> safety tip I'll get out there now is never, ever judge a print under safe light. If, if a print looks good under safe light, like you can guarantee that it isn't. Once okay. you turn it into, the, into white, uh, once you put the lights on, it won't look any good at all. The other thing is that people, the other mistake that people make is not sticking to development times and letting the print completely develop. But, um, it's called snatching a print, where you look at the print and you go, oh, it's ready, and you pull it out before time. Never, never ever do that. Always leave it in right. until the development is finished, if, yeah. because you will never, ever get consistent results, and you're always after 100% consistent results. Yeah. So, sorry, sliding into into there so <laughs> in my dark room next to my my developer because i always make my prints on eight by ten sheets of paper so okay. you can get various sizes of paper from six by four right the way up to 16 by 20 now this is in images uh, in images in inches photographic paper comes in in inches it's always given in that size so you've got six by four, which is six inches by four inches. 
Um, I use eight by 10, which is eight inches by 10 inches and then so on and so forth. You don't get a sized papers. It just, it doesn't happen. So then I have three eight by 10 trays which contain round about, I find that they need about 800 millilitres of um, fluid in each one of the baths, gives it the perfect amount of um, you know, depth of bath. So when I put the paper in and I start to move, agitate the trays, which is basically mm -hmm. picking it up at one end by about half a centimetre and putting it back down again, and you get a wave that forms in the t in the Try That's right. and then it puts over the top of then it basically keeps fresh chemistry coming in to the paper all the time so you want everything to just you don't have to agitate it hard it just needs to be regularly agitated until you yeah. until you're finished so i have three trays that are eight by ten i have about 800 milliliters of developer in there and then i i have also have a timer as well which, to be honest with you, I have a Patterson triple timer, which does count-ups, count-downs, and all of this, and I never use anything except the stopwatch function. Huh. I bought it. I thought, ooh, that looks good. A waste of, well, not a total waste of money because it is a really good piece of equipment. But if you don't want to spend the 15 or £20 pounds on one of those, you can just go to the pound shop and buy yourself... Um, a stopwatch you know what an oven timer that counts ah. up or counts down those are perfect they yeah. are absolutely perfect for that because all you want to, is about one minute one minute 25 one minute 30 do you know if you put it in for one minute 35 it makes no difference you know you want you want some sort of reasonably accurate timing device then you put it say give it about a minute and 25 in the in the developer um then you come to the stop bath which i give it depending on the type of paper you're using that i give it if i'm using resin coated paper which we we'll maybe touch on paper types a bit later resin coated paper i give it maybe 20 seconds 30 seconds in there and then i let it drain off back into the tray and then I put it into the fixer. Now, the fixer, when you make up the fixer solution from the from the main concentrated bottle, it will tell you how long you need to put the paper in for good fixing. Quite often, the fixer bottles will say, for film, do 1 plus 4 and give it this time. For paper, make 1 plus 10 and give it this amount of time. Uh -huh. Mix it as strong as you can. I always fix paper at the same strength I fix film because oh, okay. the faster that you fix it, the less amount of chemistry gets absorbed into the paper. If you get two options on it, always go for the stronger one. Never, ever try to save money on fixer. It Fixer okay. is cheap, reusable. Don't ever stint on it. Always use good, good fresh fix. The fixer will also tell you how many pieces of paper that it will do. So what I do is I also, in addition to the trays, I have um, one litre chemi chemical storage bottles. So when I make up stop bath and 
fixer, I always make a litre of it. Right. So um, stop bath and fixing. And this is something that I see people doing all the time. And I, I just want to smack my own face is they'll use it a, a one shot. They'll mix it up, do one, um, you know, one session of printing, which may be 10 sheets of paper, five sheets of paper, and then they chuck it all away. Wow. Absolute false economy. Fixer will do many, many pieces of paper. Again, it will tell you on the bottle the coverage of it. It's how many – it'll tell you that one litre of working solution at this strength will do so many meter, square metres. Then all you need to do, basically, is convert your paper into area, and then it'll tell you how many pieces of paper your fixer will do. And just reuse it. Don't chuck it away. You know, you only yeah. chuck it away when it's exhausted, it's old – or by the time you've used it several times, you'll find you get like hairs and stuff floating in it. I, I can always find my eyelashes in there or my eyebrows in there as I'm obviously shedding during the, during the process. And when it starts to get a bit icky or I've had it for a while, I then chuck it away and make it fresh. But don't use it one shot. I mean, you will find that printing will eat your chemistry anyway because it gets absorbed into the paper and moved around so and the other thing with stop bath is stop bath is usually a yellow color because it's indicator stop bath when you buy it the bottle will say indicator stop bath when your stop bath is starting to get exhausted it will change color you will see it change color at which point it's exhausted then throw it away Again, if you notice that there's like things living in it or it's going a bit icky or it's old, chuck it away and make up fresh. But keep reusing it. You know, it's false economy to chuck it after one, one go. And, you know, to try and be a bit kinder to the environment if we can. <laughs> the only time when this is different is with developer. Developer has a shelf life. It really does. Um, I know. I mean, I yes. <laughs> Paper developer. Uh, there's only two developers for film that don't have a shelf life. That's Rodenal and HC110. If you're starting out and doing analog photography and developing your own, don't touch any other developer for film except Rodenal. Honestly, you that's what you want to do because, I mean, you open a bottle of Rodenal in 1977, it will still be good today. Wow, it does not sad. go off. It does right. not go off. HC110 is the same, but HC110 is designed to be a very fast-acting developer, and you don't want to really have um, short developing times. The longer that you can develop for, pretty much the better, but we're drifting a bit off topic here. Paper <laughs> developer has a decided shelf life. When you mix it, mix it up initially, I mean, I use uh, Technol Eucabrom, Obviously, we're not sponsored by Technol, but I use a lot of Technol products. It's really good. Okay. So when you make up, it'll look like, oh, I think I described this to you before mm. as, as the P-test. Mm. Developer should look like when you're very well hydrated. It should be a nice light straw color, and that means it's perfect. When I use it for a session, I think a, a working liter of... Eucabrom 
should develop about, I think I calculated it out to about 98 by 10s. So what I'll do is I'll have one session and I will then pour that into a, back into a chemical bottle again. And if I'm printing then the next night, I'll pour it back out and I'll carry on using it. But you yeah. will find it will have turned a more apple colour. Once it starts going brown, that's it. It's had it. Chuck it away. It's, it's gone. If you try to develop paper in oxidised developer, because that's what causes it, it's the oxygen in the water, oxygen in the air when it's been poured around and mixed, you'll find that you won't get good blacks. Your blacks all go grey and that's it. But if you're using developer, you might get three or four continuous days of use out of it. But after that, it's gone. I mean, me, I might get two or three sessions. It starts looking a bit brown. That's it. It's gone. I mean, having said that, I will sometimes chance it. But generally, if you're starting printing for the first time, don't risk it. You've got enough things that will go wrong without trying to cripple yourself which is quite often what I recommend for people when they're saying, oh, can I use expired paper? Can I use expired film? Yes, but you're going to make life hard for yourself because you don't know whether it's you've screwed up or the paper's dead. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So <laughs> I see a lot of people bashing it around. Now, I've got expired paper here, which I've had for a long time, and it prints fine, and there's no problem with it at all. However, yeah. I don't necessarily trust it. You know, if I'm going to do something that's incredible or something like that, I'll use fresh paper. I won't even entertain using expired. It's it's not worth the hassle at the end of the day. When you know what you're doing and you want to have a mess around, carry on, because you will know what's causing the problem. But at the beginning, you don't want to give yourself the hassle. Honestly, it's not worth it. Um, yeah, I've I think that's simple. You've said, yeah, chuck, chuck away your developer, then do your session, keep your yeah, other yeah, two chemicals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and what you've had it here is a couple of spare bottles. That's it. Yeah, I've got bottles that I keep chemistry uh, that I keep chemistry in. Um, I mean, obviously, on the bottles, write what they are on it. Yes. So the other thing. The other thing is also mark the lid of the bottle because you don't want to cross-contaminate lids, which is really easy to do if mm. you're not watching what you're doing. So all of my lids also have on them what the what they are. So my fixer lid has an F on it and my mm. stop bath has an S on it. And that way you don't cross-contaminate chemicals. Because the last thing you want to do is contaminate your developer with stop bath. If you do you'll kill your developer. That's why when you're moving between the baths of, um, with the prints and you're using the tongs, you never want to use the wrong tong in the wrong bath. Yep. If you do, you will transfer chemicals. How I set mine up is, this might not help because I am left-handed. So I set my trays up, developer, so this is running from left to right, developer stop fix so then when i pick the printer out of the fixer uh, out of the developer with the developer tong i let it drain for a few seconds and let the majority of it run off 
when I put yep. it into the stop bath, I make sure and are extra careful that the tongue doesn't touch the stop bath. Yeah. Then I put that tongue down and I'll finish with it. Then I pick the next tongue up to get it out the stop bath and then I put it very carefully into the fixer. And then I have a fixer one to get out. Fixer and stop bath are not so much of an issue, really, because the idea of having a stop bath is so you, you keep um, the alkaline developer out of the acid fixer. Because this is getting back to chemistry 101 again about mixing acids and bases. If you mix, a, you know, an, a alkaline in, a, in an acid, they'll cancel each other out. So, which is what you want to do. It's the whole idea of a stop bath. Because I see yes. a lot of, I see a lot of people saying, "Do I need a stop bath?" If you want to protect your fixer, yes. Because every time you get a drop of developer in your fixer, you're killing your fixer. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, that which makes is sense. the entire reason for a stop bath. Do you need it? Actually, no, you don't. But it makes it an economy of of chemistry. Because I mean, yeah. a stop bath is only um, either acetic acid, which is vinegar. That's why it smells vinegary. Or you can get a odorless uh, stop bath, which is actually citric acid, you know, which is like basically lemon juice. Uh, you can make your own. You can you can make your own stop bath. Go and buy some vinegar and dilute it. That stop bath. You okay. Know, you, 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 you can if you go to the supermarket. You know they do a vinegar substitute called non-brewed condiment or white vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfectly good. Um, stop bath you need to I think you need to dilute it about one plus five but have a search online for that because uh, okay. to be Sounds honest with you I use indicator stop bath it's so cheap you know mm. but there's quite a few people that like their own sort of homebrew things um, you can buy the acid crystals online you can go and buy um, uh, citric acid crystals mix them in and make up your own stop bath Ah, okay. So there are options. There are options if you don't want to buy or you want to, if you don't want to buy chemistry. But, I mean, bearing in mind, stop bath lasts forever. I mean, the the bottle of stop bath I'm using now, which I'm just about coming to the end to, I think I bought it six years ago. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, the the stuff, I mean, I don't throw it away that often. Yeah, you know, uh, and you only make enough to make up a liter. So I might only be using, I think maybe a hundred milliliters at a time, and then it sits on my shelf because it keeps for so long. You know. So how 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 much did you buy? Um, I buy a liter. What I normally do is in my dark room, I usually keep one spare bottle of everything. So I've got a spare bottle of fixer. I've got a spare bottle of developer. I got spare unopened bottles because I know I'll get through them. So rather than risking running out of running out of a chemical, what I do as soon as I open the last bottle, I order another bottle. So I've usually got a spare on the shelf. Hmm. There's a couple of caveats at that because number one, I've got five liter. I bought a five liter bottle of fixer. I'm not going to get through that that quick. So hmm. <laughs> that's cool. I think. What you said there's so true, and I have the evidence to back it up. So, if anyone wants to check out my analog Instagram account, you'll see 
my first couple of prints, there's some yellow stains and marks in the edges. And they're exactly what Leighton just said. I wasn't careful with my prong, so I picked it out of the developer, then put that prong straight into the stop, then probably went to my second one because I didn't know why I needed three out, put then that into the fixer, and thought, oh, yeah, this is all right. It all cleaned all right. And then the next day, you're like, oh. Yeah. I mean, not only that as well, is it also shows up one of the last processes that needs to be done is washing your prints. When you've finished yeah. actually making the prints, they need to be washed. Now, you can buy what they call archival washers. Uh, I've got a Patterson one. Um, that It's literally like a tank with um, what looks like a toast rack in it that you put the prints in and then water circulates around the prints and washes all the chemicals out. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, that there's actually two types of paper. There's resin-coated paper, which uh -huh. basically the silver gelatin is contained within a resin plastic coat. So when you put that into the chemical, into the chemistry, yeah. Yeah, the... Um, the actual paper doesn't actually get wet. It's actually only the resin coat on the top that absorbs the chemicals. Uh, okay. And that's very easy to wash. That paper, if you're starting out, get resin-coated paper. It's easy to handle. It's quick to wash. It's really easy to print with. Um, they do glossy and a sort of pearlescent one, which is like a semi-matte paper you will find that they will produce great prints and they're dead easy to handle. When you wash them, it probably takes a good 15 minutes of washing and they'll be washed, certainly enough for whatever you need. And yeah. the paper maintains its sort of integrity. It's, e it's easy to pick up. The second kind of paper, which is what most people like to use, is... Um, oh, and my brain's just just died it's the <laughs> do you hate it when you when you've got a train of thought and you're doing the train of thought derails it's the uh so it's something different to sat in uh, no 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 it's um uh, so it's another coat yes it's another type of coated paper and my my brain has just literally died hang on can you just give me two seconds because i'm just going to dive into my yeah yeah that's fine so here and try to stop embarrassing myself on uh no it's fine so so one of the main reasons ah, the, other, the other one sorry is fiber-based paper my, fiber, my brain okay. just would not produce the word fiber now fiber-based papers actually have the silver gelatin coat directly onto the paper so there's no sort of resin barrier or plastic barrier protecting the paper when you put those in to the chemistry, everything absorbs like a sponge. The paper becomes heavy and sodden and wet. It's awkward to work with, um, and it's difficult to manhandle and requires... Well, when you put it into the washer, uh, it requires about an hour, an hour and a half to wash to get the chemicals out of it again. Wow. Supposedly, I say supposedly it produces far better results and far better images than resin-coated papers. But I have to admit, I've worked with fibre-based paper. 
And to be honest, what I produce, I was going to say, there's not a great deal of difference in it. You really have to get close to notice it to see what people have used. If you know, really, really look at it really closely, yeah, you can tell the difference. So it's one of them. Yeah, it does give a better, it does give a marginally better tonal range and it does look slightly better on there. But honestly, by the time you've mounted it and put it by on glass, you'd be struggling in this day and age to tell the difference. 40 years ago, I was I would say, yeah, you've got to use fibre-based paper because resin coated is just awful. But in this day and age, technology for it advanced a lot more, a lot faster over the years, and resin coated papers are really good in this day and age. I mean, I've got one up on the wall that that's opposite my desk, and I'm telling you, from this distance, you'd never tell what paper it was printed on. Right, I okay. defy anybody to tell me what it was printed on. Yeah. So I know that's a bit of a controversial thing. There'd be people probably shouting at the podcast, going, "Oh, what's he on about? Oh, he's talking rubbish." But you know, I go on. I mean, I've been printing for a long time, and resin coated fiber fiber based paper is a faff. I mean, I usually introduce um, a. I have an extra stage when I use fiber based paper, and I actually do a wash with another chemical to help the uh, to help the cleaning. So it brings it down to maybe half an hour to 45 minutes. Of, yeah, is this the of, wet uh, agent? Yeah. No, no, it's another, it's another chemical, but it's, it's something to go into in a, in a more advanced thing. Okay. So it's a, it's a sodium sulfite bath or fixer remover. But, okay. you know, I, I say I, I mix my own up for that, but... It comes down to the point of if you're just doing prints and you want to make your life easy, resin-coated is the way to go. The first time yeah. you use fibre-based paper, you'll be like, my God, I hate this paper. <laughs> yeah. It's not nice to use. But as I said, the okay. results are questionably better. It's supposedly supposed to be more archival. It's supposed to be better in that way. But as I said, as speakers, speakers are fine. If you want to make your life easy, then you know don't don't use fiber based until you you're experienced with printing. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is the same for most photography. You know, at, at mm. first, especially when you're with film, yeah. make it easy on yourself. Be yes, consistent. Definitely. Yeah, use the same chemicals. Maybe expose for the same time. Yeah. Um, well, not not exposure, but uh, you. Yes, print yeah, I know what you mean. Be yeah. be consistent in your working because when it goes wrong, which it will, mm-hmm. you need to know what you changed to find out what you what you did at the at the other end. So yeah, yeah, and you you need to understand. Like, I didn't know yeah. that it was acids and alkalines. Yeah. So I was lucky enough at the weekend to have the guy who gave me all the dark room stuff come over, mm-hmm. and he went through and he was like, "Why do you um, use a stop for two minutes?" He said, "It's it's just cancelling out yeah. the alkali." Yeah. I was like, "Oh, yeah." I mean, you can if you're using resin coated to just dip and dunk, and it's pretty much done. Yeah, I mean, was... The thing is, if you want to know how long it takes for the chemistry to actually get into the 
silver gelatin to, to do something. When you put it into the developer and your timing to the image coming through, when the image starts to form, that's how long it takes for the chemicals to get into the silver gelatin. So it will probably be 10 seconds, 15 seconds. So you can see it. You can see from the developer how quick it's got in there because nothing will happen until the developer actually gets into the silver grains to to change their state. Yeah, so and I think you can you can see how long it's in there for. Yeah, and I think the top tip for anyone new: listen to people like yourself. Listen to people that yeah. have done it for years. It's a lot easier if you can get somebody to, uh, or somebody explains the process who's done it. It's quite good because I figured quite a lot of this stuff out my my own, and yeah. it took me it took me quite a time to get. To get some decent prints, I mean, we say that it's hard to do. In fact, actually, it's not difficult. Black and white printing, it's actually very hard not to get an image. Oh, God, yeah. If you just do anything, you will get some sort of image. But we're talking about getting the print that you want at the end of it. Yeah. For that. I mean, that's, that's where it comes. I think we've covered most of the basics there, which is exposed paper, you run it through the chemistry in the trays. You agitate the trays. By the time you pull it out of the fixer, you can put the light on. You know, the, right, yeah. well, I mean, to be honest with you, after it's had fifteen seconds in the fixer, I've usually got the, I've usually got the light on, because okay. as soon as it's hit in there, it's pretty much done. So right. you know, again, read your fixer bottle it'll tell you how long it takes to actually fix. I mean, resin-coated, uh, resin-coated paper in the fixer I use takes about 30 seconds and it's done. That's it. It's fixed. You don't want to put it in any longer. You just, uh, you know, you're not doing anything. So by the time I hit 15 seconds, I put the light on and let's have a look what's going on. Okay, that's fair comment. Uh, I can, you, you can see. So, and then it makes life a bit easy for yourself then. Yeah, it does. So we've gone through some equipment, chemicals, and the process. So let's just do a quick recap for everybody. So you want a light, tight room. You need trays to put your chemicals in and the paper. So the trays need to be bigger than the paper you're printing on. You need enough chemicals, spare um, jugs, bottles, or something to put them in when you're finished. Going to need somewhere to wash your prints. And the other thing we forgot to mention right at the end drying them. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. What do you do there, Layton? What I do is I just hang them up. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a piece of string with pegs. You know, when you watch an old movie and they're yeah. in a dark room and there's pegs with string, that's yeah. exactly what I use. It's as low tech as that. That's fine. So there um, we go. Yeah, I just hang them up in my dark room. I mean, my dark room was a bathroom, and it was a wet room. Um, okay. So it just drips on the floor because it's all sealed. So I mean, if you're not in a wet room and you don't want to, you get the ire of your uh, of your better half. Probably, maybe put an old towel down and let it drip into just drip onto a towel from there. I mean, when you take the prints out. I mean, you know, whether this is washing them or out of chemistry, 
what you should do is when you pull them out, you should hold them by one corner. So they sort of hold down. So there's a, what the opposite corner is down and all the water will sort of flood off them in a stream. And then in about, I don't know, five, 10 seconds, you'll find that it will slow down to drips. At which point, when you get to the drips, then put the, hang them up to dry if it was the last bath or if it was one of the chemistries, then move to the next one. What you don't want to do is pick a print up that's covered in the chemistry and move it to the next bath because you'll be adding a lot of sort of, you know, what, whatever to the next bath. So just yeah. hold it up and let it drip off as, you know, as, let as much of the sort of clinging on stuff run off as is possible from there. Yeah. So, I know that it's a really simple thing, but really difficult to explain when, you know, when, when you're trying to explain it in, in many words. In fact, I'm actually doing the hand because I'm actually holding up a print <laughs> and then like making hand gestures as well. So obviously think, like the magic of podcasts that doesn't really come across. No, exactly. And I think for anyone new, they'd be like, um, probably don't understand that bit, but what I could maybe do is, uh, take a picture of some of the stuff that we've, we've just discussed, and then I can maybe add that and stick it on That's YouTube. It. Yes, yeah, it's make a YouTube video. Yeah, because I mean, people can research this if they're intrigued about it. There's there's a lot of videos out there. Yeah, uh, a varying quality of showing you what what to do, but the basic process is what we've discussed. You know. That's yeah. it. Do you know what? If at first you're contaminating some chemistry, whilst you're getting your process down, fine. You can always improve your methodology as you go. It's the same as me. I don't print now like I did when I first started. I you hmm. now use far more uh, advanced techniques to improve my to improve my prints. Yeah. On there. So, I mean, we we were discussing just before we started about sort of moving on to an advanced topic of um, using, you you know, the, the paper that you're using in this day and age is uh, generally, it'll be a variable contrast paper. So by changing the colour of the light that hits it, depends on how the contrast is. So, you know, if you, if you make a print and everything looks grey and there's no blacks and there's no whites, there's not enough contrast. So you need to increase the contrast and you do that basically by giving it more magenta light. And yeah. you increase the amount of magenta by either using a filter or if you've got a color head, you can actually change the color of the light that comes out at the bottom by setting various dials on the enlarger. I'm not going to go into it too much more than that. And that will allow you to increase the contrast in your print. You can yeah. do it the other way. You can actually buy fixed grades of paper, but really nobody does that anymore because if you've got grade, say, grade four paper, everything will be grade four. If you've got multi, you know, variable contrast, you can do some prints at, say, say grade two and a half or some at grade four and a half, depending on what you want to do. Now, for the really advanced workers you can actually do what they call split grade printing, which is you do some of the print is at grade, say, one and a half, and some of it is at grade five. So you can actually combine contrasts on a print. Now, yeah, that, 
that is exactly how I work. I never make, I always now use split grade printing. I don't do any other printing except split grade printing now. It's, okay. it's an integral part of my workflow because it's so much easier. Then cuts down on where I have to do other working like dodging and burning, which work exactly the same way as they do in Photoshop. If you want to burn something, you need to give it more exposure. If you want to dodge something, you need to give it less exposure. Now, you do that by using your hands, by using bits of cut-out paper, uh, you know, sort of bit, bits of twig with a leaf on it, uh, you know, balls of cotton wool on a twig. There's lots of creative ways of doing this, and it's up to the listener to research those. But if you're not an advanced worker, if you've not got the basics need to get the basics before you start with the advanced yeah that's right yeah it's i think the one thing you said that was important there Leighton, was there are no mistakes because you're starting with a negative which is which is a you might which say is that's hopefully good yeah which it might you might say that's like your starting point yeah. but in a way that bit is fixed Correct. Um, so I mean, it's yeah. literally, I don't know, it's like taking your raw image off your camera it, and then making it, it you can. I mean, ideally, you want to start with a good negative that's well yeah. exposed and well developed. Printing, yeah. printing from iffy negatives is a whole different topic of its own. Yeah. Because you, it can cause you a lot of, a lot of setup problems and, and, and things like that, because we haven't really touched on a lot of the mechanics of creating a print, which I think would be better for maybe another podcast. Okay, yeah. Uh, because we've touched on the basics of you get a piece of paper, you expose it, then you put it through the chemistry. But there's there's other bits going on there as well. I mean, first of all, you need to determine how much exposure you need to give the paper. So, you know, there's there's all of that going on as well, which maybe might be better for another for another episode where where we discuss you know advanced parts of advanced parts of printing and not just the physical actual bits that you need you know i mean like yeah. all these things they they're quite an expansive topic and otherwise yeah, we end up producing a 4 hour podcast that nobody wants to listen to <laughs> no, i think you're right. i think this whole thing you're actually going to be able to see for yourself because you're going to see it from my point of view as a total beginner. And then obviously if you check out Leighton's feeds, you'll see what someone who's experienced is capable of. <laughs> yes, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better. But, <laughs> but I mean, I would say I was down um, at somebody's house. I had to take a trip to the Midlands over the weekend, and they've actually got one of my prints up on the wall. Oh, and it's so amazing to actually walk in to a place and go, "Oh wow, that looks really good on the wall," hmm. and they've got it in a really prominent position as well, so sort of everybody sees it. That is really rewarding. That is the reward from the print. So, as we said before, I know we've talked quite in depth about what you need to get a print, but it's well worth doing the research and getting the print out there. You know. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the most exciting part. I mean, I've done bits of mm. bits of photography. 
the developing I'm still really cagey of, but the printing side. Yeah. Um, yes. Three weeks in, I was just think, oh my yeah. god, you. Yeah, always remember, I'll tell you what, I will impart the most important piece of darkroom advice that I can give you. <laughs> now, I know I can feel people leaning forward and going, oh, what's he going to say? Yeah. When you're secret. printing, at some point, you're going to get really annoyed with yourself. Yes. It's not going to work. It's not going to go right. At that point in time, pack up and walk away because you will not be getting better. You will not be producing a print that you want. Once it goes wrong and you get annoyed, that's it. Pack up, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not worth hassle to carry on. No. I know, I've been there and done that. You just burn paper for no reason at all because it just will not go right. Yeah, that's good advice. I know. Yeah. I suppose that... the second bit of really good advice also is take notes. Write down how you did a print. What I'll do is I'll take one of my work prints, which is one of the prints that I do intermediate before I get to the final print, mm -hmm. and I will write down everything I did to get to the print that I wanted. So in the future, if I want to recreate that print in the same way, I can just look at my notes and go, right, okay, I did this, 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 and this. All I right. did this and this and this, and this is what I ended up with. Okay, so when do you do that? Usually just after I, what I'll do is the day after, when my prints will be dry, yeah, I will pull them down off the, off the wall and I will refer to, I've actually got a whiteboard that I can make notes on if I want to in the dark room ah. and I'll make some notes. Then I'll put it down on a, actually onto a print. You know, there's a very, there's, there's been a post going around oh, probably about eight weeks ago that had got um, a very famous print of, I think it's James Dean in um, uh, Times Square. And right. There's tons of annotations all over it about how it was dodged and burnt and how it was processed. That's pretty oh, much yeah. what mine end up looking like, but with my own sort of handwritten notes and pen lines and um, but, uh, and bit, bits and pieces on there. It's just as an aid to get me back so I don't need to figure it out again. So what, do you write that as soon as you took it out of the fixer? No, because everything's wet. Well, I'll make notes of, I'll make sort of notes separately, but when it comes and the prints are dry, I'll then put it up on a print. So on one of the uh, prints that, that wasn't any good, or uh, one of the work intermediate work prints. Because generally what happens is I'll do um, a test strip to determine what in the initial exposure is going to be. Then I'll do a work print, an initial work print to see where I need to dodge or burn or adjust or do something. Then there might be another work print. Then there'll be the final print where I'm happy with it. I'll take one of the intermediate prints and I'll write it up onto that. It's just really is a, a jog of my memory of what I did. So I know what the exposure was. I know what the column height of the enlarger was. I know what the aperture setting on the enlarger lens was. I know which enlarger lens I use because I've actually got several lenses. Um, but the majority of my stuff is done on a Minolta Rockor lens, just in case anybody's asking. I've got a set of them. Uh, and 
and that's it really um just write write it down just make a note of things now i am not perfect at doing this every time but you know i mean the best will in the world if you make three prints of the same negative they will not exactly be the same when Mm. you're doing handmade prints like that they will never be 100 percent the same They'll be very close, but they won't necessarily be the same. I like that. I think that's something I'm going to have to start doing, to be honest, because I forget my settings quite often. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's loads of of things that we've not mentioned tonight. So, I I mean, I wouldn't say this is an exhaustive guide. This is like (laughs) dipping your toe into, into the world of printing. You know, you need to do some reading. I mean, I've, I've got some books because, I mean, I learned to do this before really the internet was, I say, was a thing. I mean, I've had internet access since 1994, but, you know, this, you know, I, I learned it with with a book. I mean, I had a book I went through. So I read the book and went, right. Then I started learning, teaching myself. So, as, as I said, it's not an expert, but the, the more you practice, the better you get. You know, I mean, yeah. the, you know, I mean, the learning curve for this does make Photoshop look fairly easy. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it's it's doable fairly easily. I mean, you can produce prints, you know, re- relatively easily. I mean, by you know, do it is start on seven by five paper. Mm. You know, it's about the smallest practical size there is. Is seven by five, and it's cheap as anything. I think you can buy like a hundred sheets of that for like twenty quid. Right, or, okay. or I should say twenty pounds of being twenty pounds <laughs> sterling on that one. So forgive my uh, colloquialism there. Is there an easy way of cutting up paper? No. Um I will sometimes cut I'll just take a pair of scissors and hack it hack it around. Hmm. I am very left handed. Scissors me and scissors are not a good combination. <laughs> I am, you know, you know, one of these left-handed people that can't operate in in a right-handed world. That's kind of what I'm like. So I do sometimes cut paper up, but I generally don't bother. I just buy the size of paper that I want to use. <laughs> so you want to take on clients that suit left-handed people as well? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're a left-handed developer. Full stop. Oh, I am. I am. I'm. I'm really. I'm really bad. My wife is actually pretty ambidextrous. So she's like, well, what's your problem with it? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I can't operate these like tin openers and things like that. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. that that's, a whole, that's a whole different can of worms, that one. Definitely. I, I think we've touched on some good stuff there. Um, I think for anyone who wants to have a laugh, mm. you'll see, uh, like I say, these steps happen, I'm pretty sure, in my work because – I've now done three weeks, and my third set of prints are far superior to yeah. my first one. Yeah, they will do. They will. They will be. They will be. The, what you said about yeah. um, using contrast. So I'm lucky. I've got a colour head on my enlarger, and I produce some prints by adjusting the cyan exactly. Sorry, magenta. Yeah. Just like what like increasing the contrast. Oh, and the blacks are deep black. Yeah. The blacks are lovely. Yes, um, yeah. You can get much better 
so by adding adding contrast in, I mean you can go too far with these things. It's like any anything. Yeah, I mean this mm. shot, for example, was a street shot. Um, I think I think you can see it on my Instagram accounts at the minute, and exactly what Leighton said. Uh, like the negative is fine, but the guy who's the main focus wore a cap, so his face has shadows. Mm. Now, of course, this is something where probably Leighton would say he would. Which way around is it? Burn or dodge? Dodge it. it need, uh, dodge in it. fact, I looked at it. Uh, I'm just trying to pull it up at the moment. As I know exactly which print you mean. Yeah. Uh, which um, which Instagram account is it on? Is it on the... I've put it on the pavements one for definite tonight. Okay. Because uh, I can't find the... Was it Flogger Pavements? Uh, no, it's just Pavements Photography, that one. Uh, there we go. I know that I follow you. I've just got to remember which one it is. Yeah, I know. I've got too many, I know. No, it's okay. No, I'm wondering for it. Because I have actually seen it. I know exactly the one mm. you mean. There we go. There. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean everything's great on there, except his eyes are just covered by, are yeah. just covered by the, the light by from the hat. Restricting yeah. it. So that's yeah, you, not might, a... you might find that you can't dodge that one out it's just a little bit too dark under there. I mean, you can, I mean, you can dodge his face on there and bring out a little bit more of that. But to be honest, it's not that bad. It's not that bad a print. I mean, I've seen, I've seen far, far worse. Mm. Definitely. So I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about that too much. Yeah. Cause like, like you say, that if you look at the other people, they're, yeah. they're fine, aren't they? So, yeah. You've got the yeah. you've got and the range. pavement the pavement looks good on mm. there. So you've got white there's some white whites and some Yeah. Yeah, I might be tempted to burn his hand where his hands on the um on his shopping trolley, on his mm -hmm. shopping carrier thing. I mean that looks like it could do with some uh, uh, some burning to just calm that down, just to add some detail. But that's yeah. But to be honest, I'm looking at it on my computer. You need to look at the print because oh, just yeah, the very cause... act of taking a picture of it with your, with however you took a picture, which is probably your smartphone, wouldn't yeah. make it look so good anyway. So no, again, it comes not. down to, and it comes down to viewing the print. When you view the print, hmm. you know, always remember that when people look at an image no matter whether it's on screen or print, they're immediately pulled to the brightest areas. Yeah, so if you've true. got something bright white, people will look straight at it because that's how we're programmed. It's like, you know, when you drive your car down the road and mm. there's headlights coming towards you on a dark road, you keep pulled into the headlights. Yeah, you too, you yeah. keep wanting to look at them. That's the same with the picture. So if you've got something that's bright white, highlights are blown, for the want of a better term, it will draw people's attention. So you can burn out... Oh, sorry, you, yeah, you can burn it to get more detail into it. Well, I think that's my adventure for this coming weekend. I'm going to see yeah. if I can do a little bit of um, burning. Yeah. yeah I mean, burning, I think... burning is the easier of the two. It's easier to burn than it is to dodge. Right. So I will, I'll leave you with that one. <laughs> mm, okay. And another thing Leighton said to me was, 
Um, my first two weeks, I used my eyesight to check the focus of the negative. So when you've got your light on and you're in larger, it's producing an image on an easel, which is where you stick your paper. Now, obviously, at this point, you can't see it completely clear, would you say? Sorry, can you just say that again? Yeah, so when you've got your negative on, Mm. You think it's in focus. You've got your enlarger on, so the light's shining. Shine onto your enlarger. It's really hard to see the yeah. sort of detail. Yeah, you need, it's you need a, a grain. You, yeah, you need a grain focuser. Yeah, so there. Leighton said, really, you need this grain focuser. The, the previous two weeks I'd done by um, eyesight. Mm. Eyesight's not great, so... I can't focus on something very close that easily. Yeah, it's not even worth trying. Yeah. And then when I got this, I actually really struggled to get my eye in the right position to see the grain. <laughs> yes. The second night, I completely understood what he was talking about. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't even look at the picture. I just get it somewhere. I just yeah. get it somewhere close and then chuck a grain focuser under so what a grain focuser is, it's a bit like a microscope. But yeah. what it does is it looks back up into your negative and you can see the actual grains of silver in the negative. And what you do is you focus the enlarger until the grain focuser become sharp focused, at which point your image is as sharp as it's ever going to get because yeah. you're actually focused on the exact grains of silver in the negative so because you have to remember the sharpness when you get to film photography like this there's no such thing as sharpening <laughs> there's when we say sharp it's as in focus as you're going to get so we refer to it that way so your negative might be out of focus say you took an out of focus shot but you the the grains you're focusing not on the image, you're focusing on the grains of silver in the negative. If you, Hopefully that understands what, what you're doing there. It won't magically fix an out-of-focus negative. It just means that your focus is precise on the plane of the negative. I hope that, yeah. makes, I hope that makes sense. No, that's fine. Yeah, to be fair, it really helped. Um, and it was good to do it by myself um, on the second night as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's just me and, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's no substitute for experience and doing it. The more you do it, the better you'll get. Because yeah. you'll get your, you'll get your um, you know, you'll get your workflow. Because you will do silly things. You will forget to stop down your enlarger lens so everything goes black. <laughs> you will put a piece of paper out, get distracted and put the light on. Yeah. And you've just blown a piece of paper because it's now black. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you will make mistakes as, as things go on and you will learn from your mistakes and from your wins as well, because you will get a lot more wins. I mean, we, we tend to talk a lot about bad things that can happen, but generally good things happen and you get you get the image out of there and you get prints. And then don't forget to then don't forget to go down to your local frame shop get them mounted and get them framed and get them up on the wall. Yeah. That's the most important thing. I mean, we all get prints that we don't put up on the wall, but 
I've got one or two prints up on the wall, ones that I really, really like. And, and it's fantastic to see a piece of your work decorating your area, or better still, decorating somebody else, else's area who really appreciate what they're seeing. Yeah, and I think there's there's two two other things here, Leighton, is get out and shoot some black and white film. Yeah. Well, as the famous photographer says, you shoot photography during the day, you do your printing at night where you can't take pictures. Yeah, and, I, you know, I totally understand that now. Yeah. And there's one other thing here. You've got grandparents and mothers and dads and uncles probably that have got negatives. Yeah. So if you've got that room, you've got a chance of delivering them something yeah. that was really, really special did, and unique. Yeah, I did that uh, a few months ago. I found some very old negatives that were from... Um, I think of my my mom and uh, my mom and dad when they were in their twenties, wow. and I actually made I actually made prints. I enlarged them. I mean they oh. they've been abysmally looked after. They've been in I think dad's garage for fifty years, but yeah. I still got prints off them. Wow! Much to everybody's amazement, when I came out with these pictures, they're like, "Whoa!" What, you know, <laughs> you can make That's prints, awesome. yeah. You've got old prints, anything like that. You can you can get in pictures off them. You can enlarge them. Yeah, that's and the great thing about I was saying at the very beginning about yeah. um, obsolescence. Yeah, you know you can take stuff that was taken sixty years ago and get totally brand new prints, and mm. they will be as good now as they were sixty years ago. Take take that JPEG. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, JPEG might not be here in ten, twenty years. Yeah, exactly. So. So, I mean, I hope it is because I've got quite a lot of stuff there. But, but uh, that's still that's still the thing that we do have to bear in mind in this day and age is digital obsolescence. As I'm sure somebody listening to this must have some zip disks somewhere, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> and, nothing, and nothing to put them in. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I, if I look hard enough, I'm sure I've got uh, a Commodore Amiga around here somewhere. Mm. <laughs> Good times. Oh, very much so. But yeah. I think that covers pretty much a sort of really basic introduction to a basic, basic introduction to printing. I mean, hopefully you'll have me back again and maybe we can talk about some, I'll do a shorter one and, and talk about some process. Mm. Definitely. I think if you can supply some images... Mm. Uh, I'll bet. So even if you wanted to supply some images for this, let let me know, and um, I'll get a link. So yes. even if you don't need to supply the images, or you know, send me a link. Um, I'll get them in the show notes for you as well. Um, yes, yeah, I'll sort I'll sort some out because I've got um, I've got quite a few prints that I could probably do do with doing some scans of, hmm. and and then showing and showing some of those. So yeah. and if they want to look at crap. I can check my Instagram. <laughs> so oh, that's it. Both ends then. But that, I that, think. The I mean, uh, you can only do. You can only learn by doing. It's as yeah, right. simple as that. So I mean, the, what you're producing for three weeks is is fantastic. You're producing images, and that's that. That is the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for that. I think yeah. the only thing we haven't really covered is quite important to a lot of us. Um, money. So if we just quickly 
discuss that. So, well, yeah, uh, I mean, you can you can negotiate and buy my prints, no problem at all. There you go. <laughs> They're only two hundred pound each, so well, that's it. <laughs> I've sold a few. I've sold a few at somewhere around that, but uh, I mean, hmm. joking apart, I mean it's actually pretty pretty cheap. I mean, chemistry is chemistry is fairly cheap. I mean, you're looking at maybe ten ten pounds for stop bath and fixer less than that probably Re- always remember fixer is fixer stop bath is stop bath if you buy the ilford stuff at three times the money it still does exactly the same as the mm-hmm. champion stuff that's a third of the price so go yeah. and buy cheap stop bath it doesn't matter make your own go to the store and buy vinegar and do your own don't buy pickling vinegar because it was oh, you want the clear stuff Fixer, I again, I've used Champion Fixer, which is the cheap stuff, and it works just as well as the Ilford stuff. It's Fixer as Fixer. I have to admit, I use uh, Technol Superfix, and it's great. I have no problems with it at all. I buy it in a five liter jug, and it costs like about 25 quid for five liters. Yeah, but like it's you cheap, cheap as chips. Uh, developer. Developer, I use Tetanol Eucabrom, which gives a fairly neutralish to cool, slightly cool tone um, printing, which for me suits me down to the ground, and I love it. Again, that's about 25 quid for five litres, or about 14 quid for a litre. Um, it will do more printing than you can possibly imagine. It, it covers It covers lots. So, but bearing in mind when you open the developer, it has a shelf life. Once you get in there and you start using it, you need to use it. I mean, last year I was away working for quite a bit and I actually lost uh, two thirds of a bottle of developer, paper developer. I come back and it had gone. I think I was away. I was away six weeks in Tokyo. I came Mm -hmm. back and it was okay. Uh, God, I had a week in somewhere, and, and then I had another six weeks in California. I came back from that, gone. It was dead. I was right. very, very annoyed because I'd have rather have given it to somebody than it just go off and out to bin it. So just bear that in mind. So uh, maybe you know the shelf shelf life of an open bottle is about twelve weeks. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. You, so probably don't buy five liter when you're starting out. Yeah, you can actually do something about it, but that's a topic for another. That's for another podcast. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. So enlargers. I mean, I mean, I've just seen one um, on like Gumtree type place. Yeah. Twenty-five, forty yeah. quid to get you started. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you started. Make sure it comes with a lens and the yes. right focal length for what you want to print, and the right masks for the negative, because you need a negative holder of the right size for what you're printing. That's the only caveat on that. Um, yeah. so, but I think most people will be doing 35 mil water because yeah. they probably don't know what large format is. And if yeah, do- yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm talking the, the majority of people will be enlarging either 35 mil or a medium format. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're shooting large photography, large format, I'd expect you to know more than more about this than just the beginner who's shooting smaller formats because it's that yeah. much more expensive. So, yeah. for that for that one, I mean, my my current enlarger does uh, all the way up to six by seven. My old enlarger just did thirty five mil, and that was it. 
and I've produced some great stuff off there. The the better the lens that you use, the better the prints will be. So, I mean, I had a Patterson brand enlarger at one point, and the lens on it was abysmal. But I only realized that the lens was rubbish when I went to a more expensive lens because the <laughs> lenses are generally the same mount, so you can just screw off the lens and screw on another one. I yeah. think they're normally the 39mm uh like a thread mount they're the m39 or whatever or ltm the 39 yeah. L, uh, ltm mount um you can pick up in larger lenses fairly reasonably uh again with lenses you get what you pay for i mean i've got a set of minolta rock or lenses and they are brilliant and i love them i've actually got some other lenses which actually somebody gave me and i've never actually used them because i like my, my minolta ones so much <laughs> so, you know, I might like the other ones more, but I just haven't sort of tried them, <laughs> just in case. But as I said, I know what works for me. So, and I'll tell you what was really useful. I've got an electronic timer that's connected straight back to the enlarger. Oh yeah, that's what I have as well. Yeah, and honestly, for anyone starting up, this stops you needing two hands. So if you're manually doing a timer, you're going to stop your timer probably. Yeah. And then you're going to have I, to ideally get a – yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to sort of operate the switch yourself. I've done yeah. that method, and it does work without any problems. But yeah. make your exposure time as long as you can – as long as you practically can make it. That way, errors of time don't count so much. You know yeah. I mean? One per, you know, if you're doing, say – 20 seconds a one percent error is quite a large margin if you're mm. doing say 40 seconds you know one percent error doesn't really matter that much mm. but yeah, the returns yeah yes yeah, try and you know try try and extend your your exposure times but definitely try and get a a, a timer if you can uh patterson still make them i think they're about 80 pounds something like that, for a digital enlarger brand new. Wow. You know, so, again, if you buy one, it'll last forever, and you can use it across multiple enlargers. You might need to just, you know, seasonally adjust the plugs on your enlarger to make it fit into the timer. If you're, if you're at all unsure when it comes to electrics, take it to your local electric contractors, and they, they should do it in situ. You know, don't don't hack things around that you're you're not 100% sure about what you're doing. Hmm. You know, obviously, <laughs> the, the caveats have been safe. Don't electrocute yourself. No, that's cool. Yeah. Um, of interest, how much are trays then? Because obviously I've never bought them. Um, they're not very expensive. I think 8 by 10s are maybe 7 or £8 pounds each. Okay. Um, if you go to the Patterson website, uh-huh. you, you can get it from there, and that's probably going to be the best. Uh, if you go to Silverprint or anybody like that, you know, Silverprint, AG Photographic, uh, First Call Photographic, you can pick them up from there. But, say, you can check out the Patterson website as well. There's plenty. Um, there's sort of plenty there. You could probably pick them up secondhand, but they're so cheap, then, mm. you know, you treat yourself to a new set. Okay. Um, I would say as well buy four, don't just buy three, because yeah. when you finish printing, 
you can put one tray with water, sorry, whilst, whilst you're printing, you can have an extra tray full of water that you can just put prints in before you wash them. I will sometimes yeah. do that because I've got some nice uh, bigger trays and I'll just bung them in there while I'm waiting. Then I'll load up the archival washer at the end and do everything at once. Yes. It, then I can clean up my dark room, put everything away whilst the wash is happening. And then I don't have to keep an eye on it because my archive washer sometimes, if you don't keep an eye on it, it gets all upset and floods, <laughs> which, as, as I said, is, is, is I've got a wet room. So if it floods on the floor, it's not a problem. But I guarantee it floods all over my bench. And suddenly I turn the light on and I'm knee deep in water everywhere. Which oh, is God. which is not so good. So, <laughs> as I said, your your mileage may vary with these things. Um, what about paper then? So, can be a, well, you've got you've got a choice. Uh, Ilford. I use quite a lot of Ilford and Kentmere paper. Um, mm-hmm. Really good. It does what it says on the tin, um, and it's and it's great. The Kentmere stuff. He's actually made by Harmon Group, which own Ilford as well. I was going to say, the, the papers seem to be exactly the same to me. Um, I've used Adox paper as well. That's really good. But um, Ilford or Kentmere, you won't go wrong. Okay. Um, I think that's about all, really, isn't it? Yeah. I can't really you, think probably... of... Uh, without gonna without use... going into really sort of minute details and starting to explain the process... Well, I think that that'd be better off for another for another podcast a bit later. Yeah, I think that would probably suit a bit of video, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that as well because sometimes it's easier to to just demonstrate how to set it all up and and run a test yeah. print. Yeah, you could just use a test print or yeah, or do you know you've done and just say, look, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, um, I know some people have filmed in the dark room. Yes, yeah, I mean you can film film in a dark room without too much issue. A decent, you know, a decent camera, and you're away. You know, most people I see just put them put it into black and white because otherwise it's red. Mm. So uh, there's no no problem with that. I mean, if you get up to the point where you're researching, you're researching into it, you'll soon be able to to do a print pretty quick. I mean, the process itself isn't particularly complicated. The complicated bit is getting good at it and knowing what you need to do to refine your print. Yes. And trying to do it without using 300 sheets of paper on one print. <laughs> yes. Dust spots, that's another step for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that'll go into the advanced section. Yeah. Yeah, spotting and doing that sort of thing. You know, I mean, yeah. cleanly, you know, having good clean negatives is a good start. But, again, that's... That's other subjects for other for other podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we've covered enough there for anyone who's interested in this. I hope well, it certainly should spark the interest of of people, especially because basically it is easy. It's not yeah. rocket science. It really isn't. Yeah, it's fun. Be creative. Yeah. Make mistakes. That's it. You've got no to worry about. Protect your hands. You know, wear gloves if you want. Yeah, I have to admit. Um, if I'm handling iffy chemicals, I will wear gloves. Um, for normal chemical, for normal developer stop bath and fixer, you should use the tongs and never touch. No, don't yeah. put your, don't put your hands in. 
Uh, make sure you wash your hands after you've finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, use the tongs, that's what they're there for. Um, by the time that you've put the... When you pull it out of the fixer, as I said, I have another tray with just water in it. I put the print in the water, I scoosh it round a bit, get the stuff off the top of it, I will then pick up a print and look at it. You know, mm. I don't touch it with my fingers until... Not only that, it's a good idea, don't um, contaminate your hands with chemistry because when you touch the paper, you will leave marks on the paper. Yeah. So if you've got fixer on your fingers and you pick up paper, you will actually fix the, the silver gelatin that you touch and then you'll get a print with finger marks all over it. So, mm. so try and be clean and tidy and use the tongs. That's what they're there for is to keep it off your hands. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I think there's enough things there, and I, hopefully people can um, understand how exciting this is just from our voices. Yeah. And you know, the second, the first time that you do it, the first time that you do it, I'm telling you, it will it will make a runner's high look like nothing. Yeah, your first your first print to see that image forming. Oh, you've got to do it. It's mind blowing. It will legitimately mess with your mind. Yeah, it's amazing. I've got to admit, um, it is. It is. Yeah, make mistakes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that yeah, I've made plenty of those. <laughs> don't be afraid of it. I mean, I'm never afraid of making mistakes. And no, as no, you learn, it's learning. Yeah, and I, I put it out there because people might see that you know I'm not foolproof. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nobody, when it comes to doing darkroom, is ever foolproof. People will always make mistakes with it, so don't just don't worry about it. You just—it's a piece of paper. You carry on. Yeah, if you're an artist and you've got a proper account and website, then yeah, don't put your trial and errors out there. But well, you don't. It's but, you know my account isn't for that. It's no, no. I mean. If it, you, people people share what they what they share, you know. That's the that's the important thing is is to get get your work out there. That that's what prints are for. Get get your work out there. Hmm. Give it sure give it to people to look at. Yeah, I'm showing everybody and anyone uh, what I've done because I think it's magical that I didn't use yeah. a printer a digital printer, uh, yeah, a thermal printer, whatever to do it. Just That's it. Yeah. And you see people's faces when you tell them I operate. I, this is all done analog, no digital, stark room. Yeah. People will look at you as if you're insane. You, know, you might feel it after times, but it's very rewarding. It's a very, very, very rewarding to do. So, so get out there and go and do it. I think we'll, we'll maybe leave it, leave it there unless you've got anything. I think you're spot on, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Get out there. Have it there. And, so, yeah, well, I'm going to thank everybody from me and say thank you very much for listening to me again. <laughs> and I hope that I hope that you've gained something interesting and you might well have more questions. And I'm sure that you can get into contact with us in mm. the usual in the usual methods to to leave questions. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I you know we're both pretty much. Uh, like helping people yeah yeah exactly so 
Yeah, you know where we are. You can find us on Instagram. I'll get you the links on the podcast uh, to Leighton's work. Yes, yeah, I will try and sort that out reasonably quickly if I can. That's fine. Um, So thanks again for joining us on here, Leighton. Yeah, it's been my genuine pleasure. And there's lots more film uh, I'm sure we can discuss in future as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So thanks a lot for giving up your time. It's highly appreciated. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. And I hope everybody enjoys this as much as we do. Yeah, definitely. And you take care and I will speak to you soon. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, later. Bye-bye. That's the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed making it. It's always great to have a guest on with me. Um, Please do share the post and podcast show as much as you can where relevant. Um, If you have time, please do not forget to review this on iTunes. Uh, Just hit the review button and give it five stars, please. It's always helpful. Uh, It's motivation for me to keep the show going. And I want to keep this going for as long as possible. And basically I'd like to get lots of lots of different and interesting people on here. So that's what I'm trying to do. Thank you again and see you next time. Bye.